to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Have you ever said, if I just had a little more money, things would be so much better? Have you ever said that? We all have, right? Although you just like, if I could have a lot more money, things would be a whole lot better, right? But have you ever been in a situation where you felt that way and then you did get some more money? Maybe you got a raise or something else and it was like, yay, but it wasn't too long. And it's like, hmm, I still need a little bit more money for things to be better. Yeah, you know, money has such an important, such a big role in our lives. Today, I'm going to start a new sermon series. At this point, I anticipate it's going to be about five different messages. And the title of that sermon series is Experiencing Financial Freedom, Managing Your Finances God's Way. Now, it may sound like you may think, well, how, how can talking about money be spiritual? You know, talking about money can be one of the most spiritual things that um, you deal with. Now, please, I, I want to make it very, very clear. I think most of you, those of you, this is your church room, you know my heart. I'm not all about give, 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 money, money, money. We're going to try to get every last drop of everything we can get out of you. Okay? In fact, for the first three weeks of this series, we're going to be talking more about personal finances and how to get out of the mess we might be in and how we can be stable and solid financially. But we are going to talk by the end God's plan to use us and our resources, not just money, but time, talents, and treasures, to do his work in the world because that's why he's got us here. Okay? But I want to tell you something. Talking about money and the things money can buy is tremendously spiritual. In fact, Jesus talked more about that than just about anything else. And if you look at his parables, his stories, there are a lot more parables about money and possessions and what we do with them than just about anything else. Why is that? Was Jesus all about the money? No. It's because he knew how important money is in living life. And what we do with our money and the things that we buy with our money tremendously impacts our relationship with God our faithfulness and service with him and our work for his kingdom. And he also knows that money or maybe even the misuse or misapplication of it can be the biggest thing that will draw us away from God and from a relationship with him. So Jesus talked a lot about money. And so if we can get our money stuff in order, it's going to help us tremendously spiritually, personally, but also in doing the work that God calls us to do. So we're going to be talking about experiencing financial freedom Managing finances God's way. But can I tell you that the problems that we often have with our finances, it does have to do with how much we have or don't have, but it's less about the amount we have than our attitudes toward money and the habits that we have developed over time about how we use the money that we have. That is more at the root of the problems we have than how much or how little. And I can tell you, you've probably seen this too. I've known people who made or had relatively little money in this world compared to many others, but they don't have any financial problems. And then there's people that have, we'd look and say, oh man, I wish I had half the amount of money that they had. And they're going bankrupt and they're, 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 they're having problems. And, you know, I think, of, you know, we often hear about celebrities and things like that. Or, or perhaps you've heard the horror stories of people that finally win the lottery and they get $5 million. And two years later, they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, bankrupt and broke. If you're like me, it's like, how can that happen? I look at my flesh, it's like, oh, very easy to happen, you know, because it's all about our attitudes and what we do with what we have, not so much about how much we have. So we want to talk a lot about that. Today, the title is How to Get into Financial Bondage. Now, this is kind of funny. Um, Pastor Nate knew that I was going to be preaching this series. He didn't know the title of my message. And we're in our meeting back there before the service to go over the service schedule and stuff and all the worship team and the technician people and all. And he's reading through the service schedule. He says, and then Pastor Tim's going to get up and preach about 
how to get into, I think he thought it was a typo, how to get into financial bondage. I mean, wouldn't we want to get out of it? I said, yep, that's the whole point. You see, by looking at how we get into financial bondage, I think it can help us to realize, as painful as it might be, the mistakes that we make and maybe continuing to make now that we can do something about. You know, if I got up and said that I wanted to talk to you today about ways that you can be guaranteed to shorten your life by 10 years, you wouldn't want to listen because it's like, yeah, I want to do those things because I want to shorten my life by 10 years. No, you'd say, I want to listen because I want to make sure I don't do those things. And again, that's kind of the perspective we want to take a look at our finances today. What are the things that lead to financial bondage? So we can avoid them, so we can stop them if we're already involved in that. You know, unfortunately, many people know what it's like to be in financial bondage. It's a big part of our American culture. Um, If you follow the news, which I just do a little bit, I don't do it a lot. You know, a lot of the stuff in the news this week has been all about our leadership and the national level trying to balance, well, they never try to balance the budget, but try to make it possible for the government to continue to function because we're running out of money and all this kind of stuff. You know, even our government has a hard time managing their finances, But it's part of our culture. And to be honest with you, it's not just our culture. It's part of our human nature. The things we're going to look at today, it's all part of things that just come natural to us. I did a little bit of research this last week. Bankruptcies are up 10% as of last, uh, today as of last year. Another thing that's been a lot in the news is student loan debt. It's gone crazy. It's been outrageous. And it overwhelms students. They leave college and all of a sudden they start off life with this humongous debt and many times enter into um, a field of um, occupation that's like, how in the world am I going to pay this back? And that's a whole other issue, another thing for another time. But, but, but that's a big deal. You know, the amount of debt that we have. You know, most people owe more than they own. If you add up all their debt, what they own, house, car, belongings, or whatever, and they owe more than they own, that's not a good place to be. Are you in financial bondage? I'm not asking for a testimony. don't have to raise your hand. don't have to repent in front of everybody else. But are you in financial bondage? How do I know? Do you find yourself in a place where you can't or you feel you can't save the way you'd like to save for the future? Are you in a place where you can't give like you'd like to give to people in need, to the work of God? Are you in a place where you can't keep up with your bills or your debt? Do you ever feel like you have a hard time relaxing and really enjoying life because of financial pressures? We want to talk about that. We're going to talk about today. I said today we're going to talk about how to get into financial bondage And next week, we're going to talk about how to get out of financial bondage. And then the next week, we're going to talk about how to stay out of it. You know, what's a good plan to be solid, all right? And all of it involves principles from God's Word. But today and next week, we're going to look at a very common, well-known story that Jesus told. That a lot of people that have anything to do with church and God know about this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now, you might say, what in the world does the story of the prodigal son have to do with finances? Well, let me be very quick to say that the primary message of Jesus' story about the prodigal son is more about the father than the son. And actually, there's two sons, and both are just as important to the story. But the primary message of that story is God's overwhelming grace and mercy. In his willingness to forgive us, no matter how badly we have sinned and rebelled against him when we come back to him. But it's got other principles in there too. So we're not going to be looking at the primary message today, except for a little bit at the end. But think about it. If you're familiar at all with the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son had his problems because he got himself into financial bondage. So let's take a look at this story in Luke 15, and we're only going to read the first part of the story, verses 11 to 16. You know, if you're familiar with this story, you probably thought of it in terms of salvation and God's love and mercy and grace and whatever. But as we read through this, kind of take a look at this son and the things that he did and said that led him to financial ruin and financial bondage. 
starting at verse 11. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So we're going to talk about how to get into financial bondage. Five principles to live by if you want to get into financial bondage. I won't ask how many want to get into financial bondage. But if you don't, or you want to get out of it, these are five principles not to live by. So let's jump right in. The first one is this, overestimate the importance of money. If you want to get into financial bondage, or if you are, it may be because you've done this. You overestimate the importance of money. We see this in the story from the very beginning. The man with the two sons, verse 12, the younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And he did. I mean, the father didn't have to, but he did. In the beginning of verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. This son, he's the younger of two sons, comes to his father and says, Father, when you die, I'm going to inherit. I don't want to wait. Basically, what he's telling his dad is, Dad, I wish you was dead. Will you give me what I'm going to get? Now, he would get one-third of the estate because in their culture, the older son got twice as much as any other son. And since there's only two, simple math, older son gets two-thirds, the younger son gets one-third. And he's figured it up in his head. He's been daydreaming about this thing. And he figures, I, I'm just guesstimating, I'm just kind of putting some thoughts that we think in his mind. It's like, oh, all my problems can be solved. I can have such a great time. I can get on with life. I don't have to be stuck on this farm. I wish I had this money now. Well, you know what? I'll just ask dad. And he goes to his dad. He says, dad, I would like now what I'm going to receive when you die. And again, the father didn't have to give it to him, but he did. He did. He had probably daydreamed what it would be like to inherit his father's wealth. Money became more important to him than family relationships, than his personal integrity, probably any number of things. And you know, the first mistake that we often make on the way to financial bondage is to overestimate the importance of money. Because we can fall in that same trap. We think that money will solve our problems. You know, the first question I asked, how many of you said, if I had a little bit more money, things would be a lot easier. And, and there is some truth that is there. But we think, oh, money is the solution to my problems. We think that money will buy us happiness or bring us happiness. You know, there's that old saying, money can't buy you happiness. And somebody said, yeah, money can't buy you happiness, but it sure helps a lot. But that's kind of the attitude that's there. Because there's so much if we want to be truthful, that we would like to have, that we think would make us happy. And if I had more money, I could get it. We think it's going to make us happy. We think it can bring us friends or it can make us look important. You know, we're facing this going into this next year, and this is true not just this year, but it's true almost every single time we have a presidential election. What's the number one issue most people are concerned about? The economy. How is the next president going to affect my pocketbook? There's a lot of other issues. You hear them talked about. There's stand on abortion and rights and, and justice and race relations and all that kind of stuff. But for many people, I would say probably most people, the number one issue, if they were to rank them in priority, is money. How is my candidate going to affect the economy? Now, please understand, I'm not trying to say money is not important. Money is important. It's how the world works. It's how our lives go. You have to have money to live in our culture today. But our problem isn't that we think money's important, but we think too much about the importance of money. You know, Paul wrote about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
verses 9 to 10, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. This desire to be rich. Now, there's nothing wrong to wish that we could get a raise, earn a little bit more money, and to even do work toward that, to be productive. But he says, when your overwhelming desire is about money and I want to be rich because of what it can do for me, he says, that can lead you very quickly in the wrong direction. And it has for many, many people. You know, and people often misquote that verse saying, well, money is the root of all evil. No, money is not the root of all evil. Money can be used for phenomenally good things. That's why we support all the missionaries we do, you know. Do the work of the Lord. But it's the love of money. The love of money. Now, you might say, well, money's not really all that important to me. But realize that we're not just talking about money, but what it buys. We're not just talking about money, but we're talking about how it makes you feel. You might honestly be able to say, well, it's not really money and how much I've got in the account, but, but, but you know, I, you know I, I, I like my house. I'd like to have a bigger, better house. You know? There's that, that whole thing in us, I want bigger, I want better, I want more. Our house, our car, the things that we would like to have, the status that it might bring to us. You know, because we're driving that brand new whatever kind of car you want rather than that one that's six years old and it's got 16 dings and, and the parts starting to rust out on that one part, you know, and, and how people are going to look at me. So it's not just the money, but the things it brings into our lives. You know, when the prodigal son ended up in the pig pen, he realized then, and it was a bit late, but fortunately it wasn't too late, He realized that there were things in life that were more important than money. He wished he could go back. And and I I would venture to say, because what we do see he did, I'll bet he wished, I wish I'd had never started down this road. I wish I'd never gone to my dad and said, give it to me now. I wish I'd have waited. I wish I wouldn't have thought that having that money was going to solve all my problems and make me really happy and be better than being in right relationship with my dad and my brother and you know, keeping my integrity. I bet he wished he could go back and undo all the damage he had done. He had paid a high price. He wasted his inheritance. He had nothing left. He ruined his relationships and now he's left eating with pigs. And there's a whole cultural thing there that we didn't even touch on. For Jewish people, you didn't get anything around pigs. Pigs were forbidden. The fact that he's even feeding them, much less wallowing with them and eating their slop. It's a terrible terrible situation to be in. So if we want to get ourselves into financial bondage, then overestimate the importance of money. The the second thing is to live for instant gratification. What does that mean? It means I want it now. That's in every single one of us, right? When I want something, I want it now. When you want something, you want it now. That's part of that flesh. That's part of being human. But when we give into that in ways that are not good, that are destructive, in this case, financially, it can get us into so much trouble. It can bring us into financial bondage. The first mistake that this prodigal son about overvaluing money easily led to the second. As he daydreamed about what that money would do for him when his dad died, it's like, well, why can't I just do it now? I want it now. He thought about all the things that he could buy and he he felt like, I need this now. You know, he's guaranteed the inheritance. He's going to get it one day. And it's easy to look back and say he'd have been a whole lot better just to be patient, be disciplined, just wait it out. Just wait it out. But you know, we do the same thing. We get ourselves into all kinds of trouble when we don't postpone what we want until the proper time. And that's true for so many different areas of life, not just finances. It's true for, our, for sex. So many problems in this world is because people just have this attitude towards sex of, if I want it now, I'm going to get it now. Whatever I feel, whatever I want, that's what I'm going to do. And we totally ignore what God says about it. 
And, and that's a whole different topic, different subject. But I'm just saying this whole thing about not wanting to wait till the proper time for whatever area of life can cause us so much trouble. And we definitely see it in our finances. You know, our desire for instant gratification leads us to impulse buying. You know what that is, impulse buying? It's like, I see it, got to have it, want it now. <laughs> I find it so funny. And this happened to me, so, so I'm not making fun of anybody else. This happened to you. You know, you go to the store to get one thing, and you see something that you didn't even go to get. And maybe you didn't even know it existed. Maybe you never even heard of it before, never even seen it before. But as soon as you see it, it's like, I have to have that. And I not only have to have it, I've got to have it now. All right? And impulse buying basically means as you see it, you want it, you go ahead and get it. Whether you can afford it or not, you know, impulse buying. We have this instant gratification. I want it now. That's why. Here's, a, here's just one little teeny tiny, and there's going to be a lot of practical tips over the next couple of weeks. Here's one really teeny tiny piece of advice that will save you. Uh, can save you a lot of money, and, and a bunch of you are going to say, yeah. Don't buy groceries when you're hungry. Yeah, seriously. It happens to me, man. If we go to the store and I'm hungry, everything looks good. And it's like, let's get that. Let's get that. Let's get that. You know, and then you might want to buy more because it looks so good. We'll have it more than one time, you know. And anyway, so that's just a simple, that's an example of impulse buying. But you know, the same thing happens when you're hungry for other things, you know. You get hungry, it's, it's time for a, a new car. Anyway, I'm going to leave that alone for right now. We see this sometimes in young adults that are growing up, and I'm not picking on young adults, but I am warning you, you get young people that grow up in a home, that home is at whatever level niceness it is, and the furniture, and and all the stuff that your parents have in that home, and maybe the parents have spent 25 years, 20, 25, to build up to that place, but then the young people launch into life and say, well, that's what my parents have, I need to have that, and I need to have it now. You know, and so it can lead to all kinds of financial problems because I want to have the same lifestyle and level that my parents have, but I want to do it now. That's an example there. Heard about an older guy who said his wife's credit cards had been stolen, but he hadn't reported it yet because the thieves were spending less than his wife did. I know, that's, kind of, that's, that's, that's very nice. That's not very nice, you know. Women... Women are often characterized as being the worst about impulsive buying. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying they're characterized that way. But can I tell you what studies have shown that men are actually worse for causing financial problems? But it's not so much because they do the impulse buying on the little things. It's because when they decide to spend money, they buy the big things. The boat. The new car. The 180-inch screen TV, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, they're not going to piddle it away on little bitty things. I'm sure there are men that do and women that are very thrifty. I'm not trying to categorize, but, you know, buying the big things. But it's still impulse buying. You know, most advertisers, advertising is based on impulse buying. Have you ever seen the advertisement saying, hey, this is a really, really great product, but if you can't afford it, why don't you wait a couple months? Never have seen one. Have you ever gone to buy a house or talk to a car salesman and you really lay your finances out there and they say, yeah, well, you know what, maybe you should wait another year. No. The advertisements you see in radio, TV, internet, wherever they are, they're based on impulse buying. The, basically, the idea is why wait? Enjoy it now. Pay later. You know? You can drive it away today and not make the first payment for 60 days. For only $39.95 a month. Easy installment payments. 90 days, same as cash. All kinds of things to say, you can do it now. And you deserve it. See, that's the other part, you deserve it. You know, you've worked hard, you've put up with a lot, you deserve it. You deserve it. There aren't any voices out there telling us to wait till you can afford it. So how do we avoid impulse buying? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but... But don't buy something that you don't plan ahead to buy. I'm talking about major purchases here, okay? Can I say, it's just really dangerous to go, if, you, if you're not really in the market for a different car, it's, it can be kind of dangerous to go looking at them anyway. 
not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying, but you know, make a decision. I'm not going to buy something I'm not planning to buy. If I'm going to buy something, especially the big ticket, plan, research, okay? Set some limits, all right? Set some limits. Refuse to spend more money than you plan to spend. Again, salesmen are really good at, of course, our flesh works with them too, you know? Have you ever gone out to buy a house or a car or something? Say, well, we're we're only going to spend this much. I won't ask for any hands of how many of you actually spent more than you already decided ahead of time to spend. You need to exercise a little bit more difficult, uh, difficult, exercise more discipline there. And, And can I tell you, this is a big deal. And we'll talk more about it later, but don't buy on credit. Don't buy on credit. Now, I'm not saying don't use credit cards, although if you can't handle it, maybe you shouldn't. Using a credit card can be very beneficial. It makes it easier, whatever, blah, 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 blah. That's got its own dangers. You know, people will spend more money on something if they're using a credit card than if they have to pay cash. It's just a fact. I'm not saying you've got to keep cash in your pocket and pay cash for everything. I'm just saying it's something you need to be aware of. But if you're going to use credit, only buy things that you can pay off that month. Don't carry the balances. Now, I know you're going to have to buy a house on credit unless you're independently wealthy or you've received an inheritance. Most of the time, you're going to have to buy a a car with credit. And there's a lot of things that can be said about it, but I'm just saying, you know, we we, we want to go out and because we want things now, we'll go out and get all this furniture. We'll get anything. We don't have the money now, but that's okay because we can get credit. So, the third thing. If you want to get into financial bondage, spend on wasteful activity. Spend on wasteful activity. Now, I could ask you, how many of you spend on wasteful activity? And probably nobody would raise their hand up. Never went out of embarrassment if you thought it was true. But also, it's like, we don't feel this wasteful. But if you were to really look at your lifestyle, if you've got financial problems, you may find you have some wasteful spending there. Look at verse 13 again. It says that after the son got the money... Because uh, he sold the property. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Squandered his property in reckless living. Later in this story, most of you are probably familiar with this, maybe even all of you, when he comes back home and his dad forgives him. By the way, his dad doesn't just say, hey, here, here's a checkbook, go spend a bunch more money. But his dad forgives him. The older brother gets upset. And whether it's true or not, his older brother says in verse 30, this son of yours has devoured your property with prostitutes. In other words, it was his opinion that he'd gone out there and not just wasted all this money, but he'd spent it on a bunch of stuff he shouldn't have spent it on. Uh, One person said this, the prodigal son had spent his money on wine, women, and song, and not very much song. What, is, what do I mean by wasteful activity? I, I came up with my own definition of wasteful activity. Here's how I define wasteful activity as far as the purpose of this message. Wasteful activity is spending on things you want to the, ne- to the neglect of what you and your family need. In other words, you find yourself in need because you're spending so much money on things that you want. Got a priorities out of balance. These can be sinful waste. You know, sin is costly. But that's easy to say because everything is costly, right? Even things that aren't sin is costly. But sin is costly. And we're not going to dig deeply into this. But many people find themselves getting into financial bondage because of their spending for... um, for illegal drugs or pornography, gambling, a lot of things that eventually lead to addiction, which only makes it worse and costs even more. That may not be as big of an issue in a crowd like this. People who are followers of Jesus and say, I, I want to stay away from all that sinful stuff, but it still would deserve an examination of our lives and our spending. Am I spending on anything that is, that is wrong in God's sight? But for those who are really trying to live for Jesus, and that really isn't as much of an issue because I'm not going to do that, there's a lot of other wasteful spending that we could be involved in that has nothing to do with sin. That's other waste. Again, the definition is spending on things you want to the neglect of what you and your family need. Our problem is that we have a hard time distinguishing between what we need and what we want. 
You know, we need shelter, but we want a really nice house. We need transportation, but we want that car that we've always been dreaming of. We need food, but we always want to go out to eat. Now, there's nothing wrong with the things we'd like to do if they're not sinful. But if giving into those things means that we can't pay for what we need because we're paying for what we want, we've got a problem. Other areas are hobbies and interests that we have. Nothing wrong with having wholesome hobbies and interests. But if we sink so much money, whatever that might be for you, into that, that you're not able to pay for what you need, there's a problem here. I knew a man one time, a long time ago, wasn't here, so nobody would recognize it, but I knew a man one time who couldn't afford to pay his rent. And I really believe that was true, he really couldn't, but he took his family out to a nice expensive restaurant every Sunday afternoon. Oh, that's just, that doesn't even, but you know, do we ever do something like that? We can be guilty of that. If we, if, if we, if we are spending on Things that we want, that we don't have to have, and it means that we can't spend on what we need or can't pay for what we need. Let's go on. Number four, don't plan for the future. If you want to get yourself in financial bondage, don't plan for the future. We see this in verse 14. It says, and when he had spent everything, there's something there, when he had spent everything. We're going to come back to that. When he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. The prodigal son hadn't counted on a famine. He hadn't thought in advance to say, hey, are things going to turn a different direction? He acted as if things were going to go on as they always had and he'd never run out of money. But then now his money is gone. Nobody cares about him. He can't buy food even. And he's broke, hungry, and alone. Terrible situation to be in. But sometimes we can act the same way. We, we want to pretend that everything will always go smoothly. But you know, difficult times can be just right around the corner. I mean, isn't that kind of what everybody's been talking about for the last year? Our economy has just done terrible things to our lifestyles, to our finances, to our needs and our ability to meet those needs. You know, if we were to sit down and think about it, you know, looking back now, if we had known two years ago the way the economy would be today, are there things that would be, we would have done differently along the way? Probably. And all I'm saying is we need to think ahead to realize that something like that could happen and to try to be prepared. When we don't plan for the future, we're setting ourselves up for problems, not just financially, but in other areas also. You know, there's so many things that can happen to us that can affect our finances. We can, we can lose the job if we're still working. Um, there can be an unexpected doctor bill, you know, relatively good health, and all of a sudden something happens. You, know, you get appendicitis or, or whatever, and if you're fortunate, then the insurance is going to pay for most of it, but even if it just pays for most of it, the rest of it can be a problem. Now, if you've got insurance that pays for everything, it's like that's not that big a deal, but that kind of insurance... Yeah, anyway, most people don't have that kind of insurance, you know. So an unexpected medical situation, a doctor thing. You know, those that are younger, you know, an unexpected, unplanned for pregnancy. It may be a bundle of joy, but it's an expensive bundle of joy. Between the costs of going through the process, having it delivered, and and then the, the cost of raising the child and time taken off of work and all kinds of things associated with that. There's so many things that can happen that could impact our finances, An appliance breaks down. Have you ever noticed that if your appliance is going to break down, your air conditioner, your washer, your dryer, refrigerator, your freezer, whatever, if it's going to break down, it's going to break down at a really bad time. Think about that statement. When is a good time for something to break down? There aren't any good times. So it's always going to be a bad time, right? But it always seems like it's almost the worst time, right? It's like, oh, if this had happened last week or next week. But it always seems to happen that way, right? Unexpected things. 
You know, James tells us in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears and for a little time and then vanishes. And the main purpose of those verses is that, you know, make your plans. You know, God's not against planning at all. But realize that God's ultimately in control and what you think you can count on, you may not be able to count on. And include that in your plans. And I'd be the first to say, we can't plan for every problem. But we should try to be somewhat prepared. One of the greatest financial strategies you can do is to have an emergency fund. And you set up your budget, you figure out what you're going to pay, what you're going to buy, what you're going to spend money on, that you put money aside specifically for emergencies so that when the emergency comes, it doesn't knock you like, oh my goodness. When that appliance breaks down, you pay for it out of the emergency fund and then you work on building the emergency fund back up. It's just, this is just a little thing. But just this last week, I went out, started my car, had a little hard time starting. Well, that's strange. All week long, it got a little bit harder and harder to start. I said, uh-oh, got a problem here. It's either my battery or my alternator or my generator. I don't know what it is. But last Sunday morning, I went out to get in my car, and it went... My wife was out of town, so I took the other car and came to church. But I wasn't that worried about it. I knew that we could figure out what was wrong with it. It ended up being that the battery was old enough. It just... It was a five-year battery. It had four years. It just gave out. So I got a little bit of money. But I had to spend a hundred and something dollars on a brand new battery. And I didn't want to do it. But you know what? It didn't cause me any stress because we have an emergency fund. It's not a big emergency fund, but it was big enough that I could just go out, buy it. And I, it didn't, it's not something I'm going to have to pay back over time or anything. So an emergency fund is a really good thing to do. Proverbs twenty-seven twelve. It says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Whereas being prudent means looking ahead for problems, looking ahead for danger, looking ahead for whatever can come up that can cause you problems, and, and, and to the best of your ability, you try to prepare for it, okay? Now, before I go on to the last one, I just want to say this. Sometimes you can do everything right. Sometimes you can plan well. But then circumstances of life cause a tremendous difficulty. So I just want to say that because if there's anybody that's here today or you're watching online, you say, you know what, Pastor, I've I've tried to do all that stuff. I've tried to follow really good financial principles. I've tried to live my life right. But you know what? Life just hit me out of the ballpark and I wasn't expecting it. It's a whole other issue. Okay. Let's go on to the fifth one. And this is the capstone. This is what we all wrestle with. Spend more than you can afford. You want to get to financial bondage, spend more than you can afford. Make sure you got more money going out than you got coming in. We see this in verse 14. I read it related to the other principle. It says, and when he had spent everything. It says it all. He spent everything. I want to ask you, when you get your paycheck How long does it take before you've spent everything? And is that really a wise thing to do? Many people not only spend everything, but then spend more than everything that was in their paycheck. I like this statement. It says, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. You know, it used to be that a person, a family, had to live on what was coming in from the paychecks. Because when it ran out, that was it. You just had to make do until the next paycheck. Right? That's not true anymore. It hasn't been true for a long time. Today, it is too easy to get credit for anything. And to not only get credit based on what you make, because we know you're going to be able to pay it back, you just hit a rough spot. But people can get credit way beyond whatever they could ever be anticipated to pay unless they get a humongous raise, different job, or become independently wealthy because of an inheritance, or win the lottery, or whatever. Used to be credit cards were, credit card companies were very picky about who they give credit cards to and the limits and stuff, but nowadays, not as much, maybe a little bit. It's so easy to get credit for anything way beyond our ability to repay. 
As I said earlier, research tells us that people will purchase more with a credit card than with cash. I did some research yesterday uh, and a little bit more this morning. And, you know, talking about the government being in debt and our government's debt is so big and they had to pass this legislation so we can keep on existing and all that kind of stuff. You know, totally apart from the government, okay, people in America all together just is just, it's like $16.9 trillion in debt. Americans have almost $17 trillion in debt. Now, that's so big. It's like we can't even comprehend it. It's like, what does that have to do with me? $1 trillion of that is in credit card debt. And, you know, when you talk about credit card debt, this, this is one of the biggest things that causes us problems. I found a research thing that showed the averages of credit card debt based on state. Okay, the most expensive, it's not necessarily the most expensive state to live in, although that may be so, but as far as average credit card debt is Connecticut. The average person who lives in Connecticut has $9,408 in credit card debt. Not talking about mortgages and car payments and all that, but in credit card debt. The state that has the lowest average, again, not necessarily because it's the cheapest place to live, although it may be, is Kentucky. But even in Kentucky, the average person in Kentucky has $5,408 in credit card debt. Now, there's plenty of people that don't have any credit card debt, so that means the people that do actually have more than that. I had to say, well, where's Florida? Florida is actually number six. The average Floridian has $8,573 in credit card debt. Not counting mortgage, not counting car. Now, I'm not trying to bash the use of credit or whatever. I'm just saying it is a big part of the problem. And the way to get a handle on it, and for people that do have a handle on it, they're probably doing this, and that is you spend less than you make. I mean, you don't even just stop with, I'm only going to spend what I make, but I'm going to spend less than I make. Can I tell you, I've I've heard lots of people put this forward, and we're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come, but a really good plan to go with for your spending is give 10%, save 10%, and live on 80%. Now, if you can do better than that, that's great. You want to give more than that, that's great. You want to save more than that, that's great. Say, I couldn't live on 80% of what I make. Was there ever a time in your life where you did live on 80% of what you make now? What changed? Well, yeah, I know prices went up and all that. But I'm just saying, it is possible. Again, it gets into our desires, and we've got to have this, and we've got to have that, bigger, better, more. Spend less than you make. That'll give you the ability to give and invest in God's kingdom. That'll give you the ability to save for an emergency fund and save for the future and to save for those things that you want to buy, but I'm not going to buy it on credit, so I'm going to save up for that car. I'm going to save up for that furniture. I'm going to save up for... My retirement. Well, we'll dig more into the practical parts of that later. But as we wrap this up, the prodigal son realized that he was in trouble. His spending had gotten him into bondage. He was broke. He was hungry. He'd built walls in between him and his family members. And fortunately, that's not the end of the story. In fact, he did some really great things to get things right with his family and to get himself out of the mess he's in. And that's what we're going to look at next week from the same story. What did he do that got him back in right relationship with his father? But what did he do in that process that actually can help us with our finances? We're going to take a look at that on how to get out of financial bondage next week. But what can we do now? I just want to really encourage you because finances is such a big deal. It affects our lives. It affects our relationships. You know, just another little thing here real quickly. Between husbands and wives, if you're married, if there's problems. It, can ha- it has to do with maybe with relationships and, 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 you know, people not treating each other the way they should and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of problems in marriages come down to finances. Problems with finances. When there's a divorce... 
You know, I think the number one reason it used to be is because there's unfaithfulness. But the number two reason has to do with finances. When we look at our own lives, spiritually speaking, our finances affect our spiritual lives more than many things. Many things. So I encourage you to examine your life and your attitudes. Do any of these things apply to you? Maybe you're not in financial bondage. Maybe you are, and this can be the first step to help you get out of that. But even if you're not, do you find things, like I said, tighter than you really would like them to be? And, and, and maybe you're doing everything right and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the economy the way it is now. You just do the best you can, pray, and, and try to be wise. But if you're doing any of these things... Maybe it's a wake-up call. Maybe it's a light coming on to say, hey, I can do something about this. Do you overestimate the importance of money and what you think you can get from having it or from spending it? Do you live for instant gratification? Or do you struggle putting off to get something until you can really afford it, until you can save up for it? Do you spend on wasteful or sinful activities? Do you not plan for the future? Do you spend more than you can afford? The first thing you can do immediately is just stop doing those things. Reverse course. Lots of other things you can do. We'll talk about that next week. A lot of great resources. I'll mention more in the weeks to come that you can take advantage of. But reverse course. Can we all stand together? And this is not the type of sermon that you have an altar call and say, how many of you have made a mess of your finances, and I want to confess it all between, be, before God and everybody else and come for prayer. We will close in prayer for people in needs, and if that is something that you're dealing with, we would love to pray with you that God will help you to get on track and to provide for your needs. But before we have that time of prayer, I just want to get back to the main message of the prodigal son. The prodigal son made a mess of his finances. But even more significant is that he made a mess of his relationship with his father, his family. And as we look at the story further, as we'll do it next week, and you may be familiar with it, he says, go back to his father, he says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God. And the main message of that story is that no matter how badly we've messed up our lives, no matter how thoroughly we are alienated from God, God is always watching for us to come home. And you may be here today or you may be watching online and you don't have a relationship with God. And today would be the day that you could surrender your life to Him. Now you might say, but but everything's okay. You know, I've not done anything to alienate God or whatever. I'm a pretty good person. But the thing that we have to understand that the truth is that we are all sinners separated from God, whether we try to live good or not so good, whether we have financial problems or we don't have financial problems, whether we try to be moral and upright or we just do whatever we want. Without God's work in our lives, we are all sinners. The Bible says that for all have sinned and are separated from God. It says, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So unless you have come to God and received the gift that he offers through Jesus Christ, there's a problem between you and God the Father. But God is like the prodigal son's father waiting for you to come to him. What does that mean? It means that we're willing to admit, as the prodigal son will do next week and in this story, I've made a mess of it. I'm a sinner. Come to our Heavenly Father and say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I need salvation. I need forgiveness. And I can't be good enough. I can't earn it. But the Bible says that that's why Jesus died. You see, Jesus, God himself, came to earth, lived the perfect life that we can't live. And died a death he didn't deserve to pay the price for our sins. And so we choose to put our trust in him. And then we begin to live for him. And we just express that to God. And so I just want to ask today, before we wrap everything up, are you here today or are you watching online or maybe you're watching or listening to this later? You say, today's the day. I know I am a sinner. 
I'm a sinner, and, and I want to surrender my life to God. I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins because of what Jesus did, and I want to begin to live for Him. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Any of you that are here today say, that's me. I need a Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I know you talked about finances, but I need Jesus in my life. I want a relationship with God. I don't see any hands here in the building, but there may be people that are watching online or listening later. So can I just pray a prayer that if you need Jesus as your Savior, that this is what you need to express to God for yourself? Just come to God and say, God, I come to you and I recognize that I am a sinner. And because of my sin, I am separated from you. Not just now, but I will be forever. That's what your word says. The wages of sin is death. But I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you forgive me, Lord, because your word says you love me and you want a relationship with me. And that's why Jesus came to die on the cross. I believe that Jesus... God himself came to earth. He died on the cross. He was buried and he rose the third day to new life to pay the price for my sins. So, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. And I thank you, Lord, that as I trust in him, you have forgiven me. And now I ask that you fill me with your spirit and that you'd help me to live for you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're online and you did that, would you contact me? I would love to talk to you some more about that. I'm going to ask our elders, our prayer team to come forward. We're going to take just a couple of moments as the worship team leads us in a song. We'll dismiss in just a couple of moments. But if you're here today and you would like prayer for anything, somebody to join with you, sickness, financial issues, relation, whatever it might be, you don't have to share anything you don't want to share, but we are here to pray with you. We're just going to take just a minute or two for those that would like prayer, and then we're going to close in prayer in just a couple of moments. Lord, I come. Father, we do need you. Lord, we need you in every area of our lives. We've been talking about finances today. We will going forward for a little while. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with whatever difficulty, because we all have some kind of things that, Lord God, could make our finances better, more appropriate, more aligned with your word, your plans, help relieve stress, Lord. God, help us all to not only learn what you have to say about it and how it can be a positive thing in our lives, but actually to put it into practice, because, Lord, we may know the right things, but sometimes they're very, very hard to do. So help us, Lord. Help us. And God, for those who really are trying to do the best they can with what they've got, maybe not perfect because none of us are, but Lord, they're in a situation where their finances are really a problem. God, we pray for your provision for them, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. But God, help us in every area of life. Help us to love and serve you with all of our hearts. And God, I pray that as we leave this place in just a couple of moments that we would be your representatives in our world, that people would see you in us and that we'd have the opportunity, Lord God, to shine your light into their lives and to share Jesus with others. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.